0: Ooh ooh, 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 Oh,
1: mm. love it. Love that song. Oh, it just—it—it it just feels right. Uh, same thing with this conversation with Steve today, man. Steve Wallace is a great dude. He does a lot of stuff. He's done everything from books to movies, podcasts. This guy's everywhere. He's been through some shit. He's a cancer survivor lost his dog his wife his business all at the same time and made a movie right after it and if you google this dude it's just his imdb page is just ridiculous uh plus he told me everything that he was doing outside of what's on imdb and i couldn't even keep up so uh the great thing about this conversation is it wasn't just about movies we got into real shit uh really had a good conversation with this guy thoroughly enjoyed him uh Please hit him up on social media, find him everywhere. Um, But for now, just sit back, relax, and enjoy the great Steve Wallet. Yeah, then just like that, we're on the go, man. So like I said, it's nothing fancy, just kind of us hanging out, talking. Um, For my listeners that don't know who our guest is today, it's Steve Wallet uh steve is all over the internet if you google him uh it's kind of hard to miss his face he's on imdb so he's gonna be blown up everywhere um so i will go ahead and kind of let you um kind of let my listeners know who you are what you're about and um kind of what got you here then i'm just kind of curious as to um you have a movie coming out and kind of the origin stories of how you came to actually be the guy that produced a movie because a lot of people say they're going to do something it's just actually hitting that red button of recording then editing it and putting it out is a different thing so I definitely want to get into that so uh yeah I'll kind of hand it over to you for a few minutes and let you talk and I'm uh, I'm curious how this goes
0: okay sounds good thank you for having me uh well I'm Steve Wallet I'm a writer producer director I've designed video games. I've, I've done a lot of stuff in my life. Um, ultimately, I, we're here to talk about my movie to some degree. So uh, the movie got started because I was... Tr- transforming my life i was trying to reimagine who i am trying to repurpose all of my energy into something new and this movie was a good outlet for that there's a whole story behind all that which i'm sure we'll get into as time goes on and i apologize for this dog but the dog is trying to crawl in my lap right
1: now Um, man no this that's real life though yeah there's nothing nothing planned here like i wouldn't be surprised if my dog comes wandering behind me every now and then he he likes to make an appearance whenever there's a camera around i hear you well
0: um i guess ultimately uh what happened was uh let me think 2020 my my dog died speaking of dogs and mm-hmm. uh, i was devastated i mean I, I love this dog more than anything in the world and my wife and i we were both grieving over the dog and she got the flu her immune system was down because of grief most likely and you know, we didn't think anything of it. It's the flu. I mean, who who worries about the flu, you know? And uh, after a short while, she started to become unresponsive. And we had to call 911. And they took her to the hospital. And by the end of that evening, she was in a coma. And we didn't know what was going on. I mean, this was uh, January 3rd. 31st was the day that, uh, the president was closing the border to China because of COVID-19. We didn't know what COVID-19 was, but Mm -hmm. back on it, I do now, you know, and, um, you know, she, they put her on a respirator and several days into it, um, I get a phone call that, well, my phone is blowing up it was like a hundred phone calls and I had my phone turned off. So I didn't realize they were coming in because I'm there with my wife in the hospital. I didn't want to be bothered by anybody while I was in there. And when I finally started looking through the messages, I called someone back and they're like, dude, your store's on fire. And I'm like, what? And they're like, yeah, your building's on fire. The fire department's here. The police are here. So i thought it was a joke but i dry i drove there kind of freaking out and my business burned down you know so i'm like my wife's in the hospital sick my business just burned down my dog died i felt like it was a country music song i mean i i was just devastated yeah well
1: what uh, the what next type of business did,
0: did i you- own a health food store we had the uh first health food store in the state of maryland we were actually the first people to ever sell organic food in maryland we used to ship it in from california pick it up at the airport in vans and then deliver it to other stores
1: that's amazing i'm uh yeah actually i just applied for a grad school for a dietetics and okay uh, and so i live in ann arbor and we have a bunch of like really small little like shops like that and stuff And that's kind of primarily where i try to shop so but that's amazing that you're actually trying to put out like really healthy organic food for the people around you. Well,
0: our, our primary focus was, uh, was raw herbs, natural, good herbs. We had over uh, 750 different herbs in stock on any given day of the week. We had contracts with farmers all over the world and different suppliers. Uh, some of the herbs that we sold, we were the only people in the country that sold them. Wow. Yeah. How did you source those? Um, my wife's father started the business in '71, and he established all the contacts. And we just maintained the business after he died. That's awesome. That's, yeah. yeah.
1: No, that's really cool, man. And then, but then you find out that it burns down as your yes, life is falling apart. Down. How do you? <laughs> what do you do after you get that phone call well, and you show up? I, that it's I it's just actually put real. my life
0: on hold. I was worrying about my wife at that moment, you know. Yeah. So I just put it all on hold. I let the fire department and the inspectors uh, deal with that mess while I went back to the hospital. And uh, the next day, the doctors came in and told us that uh, my wife had developed over 200 blood clots and was effectively brain dead. And- Wow. Well, what do you do then, you know? I mean, me and her, we had an agreement for years that if either of us ever got to this point, we would remove life support immediately and how do i tell my kids that you know how do i tell my grandkids that we're going to take my wife off of life support and you know it it was a bit of a process but we did it and when um february the 10th she died actually yesterday anniversary of it you know and um i'm sorry to hear that man yeah yeah so i mean it was uh it was rough I mean, it was really rough. And then I kind of fell apart after that. You know, I started drinking. I was doing, uh, I was smoking weed nonstop, just trying to not feel anything. Yeah. Was it like, did, have you had like
1: issues with, uh, substances in the past, like alcohol and drugs or anything? I've,
0: I've never had, um, abuse issues. I've, experimented here and there in my life you know i mean even with this i i did it for a month and then overnight i just stopped i made the just yeah
1: i i feel like uh after what we're into this five minutes after the story you've told me you kind of deserve a little time off of of some grief and some jack daniels so that's completely understandable
0: yeah i I was living on bourbon so it was um it was a little rough but but what the beauty of it, all this is is look this is all horrible everything i just described is horrible but out of this something really good came i was sitting with friends we were drinking we were talking about life and one of the conversations we had was about what are we going to be doing in 20 years from now when we are all suffering from things like dementia or other age related ailments you know, we're gamers. What are we going to be doing? Are, going, are we going to be uh, sitting in a nursing home playing a video game or, <laughs> you know, or are we still going to have our Dungeon and Dragons game going on and stuff like that? And what yeah. came out of it was we were all going to move to the same nursing home and we were going to play role-playing games. And our dementia would feed the role-playing games, feed the stories. And as it fed those stories, we'd become convinced that the doctors were some kind of nefarious cult or some kind of evil. And we would go on a quest to destroy that evil. And that's how we would end our lives, you know, on this grand <laughs> quest in our dementia.
1: Yeah, so, so I watched the movie. Um the movie is, is really good. It's at first, I didn't think it was going to be something I was into with it being, you know, to, I like I don't, I haven't been kind of introduced to independent films, I guess uh, as much. So it's more like what I get in is uh, like YouTube content or mainstream media, it's not like the, the news or anything like that. But I mean, like, you know, what would be put out, you know, on a, on a mass scale. So to see something from like an independent producer and everything it was it was really good um but as i'm watching it i was trying to figure out like the story as far as how it came about and the only way i could think of is it was just a bunch of dudes sitting around like smoking some weed having a few beers and thought that this would be a great idea the next morning they woke up and actually did it and And that's kind of what you did. (laughs) That's pretty much it. um, Yeah. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. So it's, so I, I, we had this conversation and I wrote this story. Right. And, um, After writing the story, I was like, what do I do with this? Do I try and sell it to like a big Hollywood company or something? And nobody knows my name. I mean, I've done a lot of stuff. I've worked on almost 200 films, but you've never heard of them, you know, and most people have never heard of them because the stuff I work on is all small productions, right? There's is this a something few
1: that you've done like just in your adult life or were you, have you always been into filmmaking as a kid? No,
0: or... I got into filmmaking in uh, 2006 as a hobby. I had cancer. Oh, okay. 2002 and after uh getting cancer i decided i'm not going to think about the things i want to do i'm going to do the things i want to do and I always wanted to make a movie so i found a local film that was happening and got involved in it and then another one and then another one and just kind of grew from there
1: yeah what uh what type of cancer did you have
0: i had uh, papillary and follicular uh variants of thyroid cancer they're both okay. very aggressive uh cancers in males
1: all right yeah that's that's a weird parallel because i right now i have cancer um and that's kind of what started this whole thing is it was getting really bad to where i i tried to cure it with a clinical trial um and it backfired and so now i have a uh, polycythemia vera and uh, fibromyalgia um and so it's it has not been working out very well and so i ended up like barely able to walk wheelchaired out of the airport, um, to go to the Mayo clinic. And I was sitting there and I was just like, you know, if I'm going to make it out of this, I'm going to do something, you know? And then the next day I started the podcast, um, I hit somebody up from Australia, um, and ended up interning with them, um, for my career, you know, and it's, it's kickstarted everything into like me fighting and you know doing all these crazy things now and my friends around me are noticing this huge change and it's you know I had cancer before that but after that big crash the the change and it's hard to get people that don't have that to get that motivation to actually start going um so to hear somebody else that actually you know kind of experienced the same thing you went through and now you finished it um that's impressive. Yeah, wow,
0: that, that, That's very commendable. Well, do you know who Tony Robbins is? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course okay. I know what Tony Robbins so is. So around the time I got cancer, I won a trip with Tony Robbins. Okay. So my wife didn't want to go. And I kind of forced her to go with me. And we went and we took this trip to California. And we hung out with Tony for a week. And within four hours of meeting him, he had us walking on 1,000 degree hot coals in our bare feet. Right. and i was like this dude is crazy there is something wrong with him you know but you know we were watching other people do it so we knew it wasn't going to kill us as terrifying as it was you know and his the entire week he spent was about telling stories of tragedies that people had had and how they turned their lives around and i thought it was all hokey i listened to these stories i laughed you know i was like yeah whatever you know yeah but cancer and when I got cancer and thought I was going to die it was um, kind of eye-opening for me because as I started to beat the cancer I realized I started to incorporate all these little things that Tony had told me about success into my life
1: you know and it was
0: a little bit it wasn't like all at once it was a little thing here you know but now I'm looking back on it, you know, 20 years later, and I realize I've become a Tony Robbins dude. I'm doing everything this guy said to do. And not because he said do it, but because it made sense. Yeah,
1: it's, I, I'm actually, I needed to see exactly what it looked like. Um, so I I Googled like a picture of like the, the Tony Robbins hot walk and, Yeah, there's this people in suits walking across coals that are clearly red hot. Does not look
0: fun at all. How did he talk you into doing that? So what he did, uh, he got you into this agitated state he's like getting your energy up you know where you're getting up and you're exercising and you're cheering and you're you're just you're just getting into this super hyper agitated state of mind where you feel like you can do anything it's almost like a brainwashing it would be a way of describing kind of like when i was in the military when they'd get you hyped up during basic training and as uh, as he gets you hyped up, he then has people that are part of his team do the walk to demonstrate this is totally safe. Some of them pretty much run across, some walk across really slow. He shows that there's no trick to walking; it's just you'll walk across. It's it's simple. You just do it, and it's overcoming fear. It's you get into a hyper agitated state, you overcome that fear, and then you just. Do it because that fire only is going to hurt you if you stop and you stand on those holes. If you continue to move, you are not going to be hurt. Yeah, you might have a little discomfort on your feet, but you're not going to be hurt.
1: Yeah. It's that's a good parallel for life. <laughs> it's like I can clearly see why he's doing it to you know put it into your brain that you know you can do whatever you want to do and just set your mind to it
0: uh Most, most definitely the other thing that he uh pointed out to us which was really hard for me was he said it doesn't matter who's in your life it would be your mother your sister your brother your best friend child it doesn't matter if they are negative get them out of your life
1: yeah yeah it's that's something that i'm having to learn as i'm getting older is uh you can still love people from a distance you don't have yes. to have them directly next to you and even if you love them they that you just have to accept that they're toxic people and I've had to kind of like go in like this swinging motion with some people even family members of like I'll come in kind of like see where you're at check in you know like do like a little text coffee date or something like that and then you know I, I gotta like back out um and that doesn't mean that i don't love them any less or that you know it's just where i'm at and where they're at is not compatible for you know my mental health right now that's something that i've never had to think about before cancer
0: became real yeah that that's actually what you're describing is pretty much the way i am it's um i have a very big family And I used to see people all the time in the family, but I realized certain people, when you see them, every time I'd see them, I'd walk away feeling bad, feeling my energy drained, feeling like, why did I go there? And then I'd start dreading going there, you know? And um, when I made the decision to only see the people that I consider toxic on holidays, you know, like Christmas or Easter, you know, you see them once or twice a year it actually became enjoyable because now i'm seeing them so little that when i would see them most of that toxicity wouldn't be there because they were just happy to see me
1: (laughs) yeah i wish i had that situation i can't i can't agree with you (laughs) on that one man i'm sorry about that (laughs) yeah yeah it's not like that for me but uh yeah no i completely understand what you're saying It's yeah. I don't know. It's weird how like when something really bad happens to you, if you can just accept it and then it allows you to move on, you know, like I haven't fully accepted everything that's happening to me because I have to fight it every day. And it's like right now it's worse than anybody around me knows. I just haven't told them yet um, just because I don't like sharing everything. Um, So it's something I need to work on. But as things get worse it's almost like if you can accept them, then it it opens up another level to allow you to see it from another perspective. So you can like just go right around it and find something completely different. You know, um, I know it's a weird way of saying things, but it's kind of like how I've been able to deal with stuff. It's just when you sit there and fight it, you never really progress. And that is never that. You never end up making a movie of, of four old dudes sitting around a table. <laughs> <playing> t- <laughs> so, so, yeah. So, you're sitting around. You're getting drunk with your buddies. You think this is a great idea. And uh, you've made some films before. Um, I actually, like, I have your stuff up right now. And you, you have quite a bit of stuff out. Um, and you just decide, fuck it we're gonna we're gonna make this movie about some old guys in a retirement home with a crazy nurse who wants to steal their soul and uh and you pulled it off and so yes. how And the by the way i just need to say this my uh my favorite character is clearly jack um that dude's an asshole and I loved every minute of it. He was actually the character that kept me watching the the (laughs) film (laughs) throughout the whole thing. You know Um, there's it's amazing what you were able to do Um, just because I've never watched, you know, a a film like that before to see that there wasn't very many um, uh, not scenes, but uh, like places that you filmed at. You know, no. you were able to do a lot and carry a story for a, lo- for a decent time, um, keeping me entertained, which is very hard to do, um, without having very many camera setups, I'm assuming. Um, it, it we, like- uh,
0: we had three total cameras on the set, uh, but most of the time we were just using one camera, just moving it around place to place because of mm-hmm. space limitations. Uh, we shot the film on a uh, Red Cinema One camera which mm. is um those really nice. wonderful camera It's just yeah. gigantic it's an enormous camera
1: what about why didn't you just get on the dragons or yeah the red yeah. dragons or whatever those are smaller because
0: i went with what i owned Oh um, yeah i <laughs> mean know, the fact that you fun. own a red you're good yes. no matter what so i mean
1: Absolutely.
0: yeah and it was um, it was really interesting because uh, this is an ultra low budget production. You know, most Hollywood movies, most bad Hollywood movies, cost millions of dollars. Yeah. Okay, we did this entire film for just over two hundred thousand dollars. You know, and putting together a film of this quality with that little amount of money, you don't see very often.
1: Uh-uh. No. Um, and and, you and can Jack.
0: Tell the character Jack that uh, you like so much, that he was played by Vernon Wells. And a lot of people don't know Vernon by his name, but they know him by stuff he was in. He was the villain in Commando against Arnold Schwarzenegger. He went up against um, Mel Gibson in The Road Warrior. He was the dude with the huge mohawk chasing Mel Gibson through the desert. You know, he was in Weird Science. I mean, in the 80s, he was a superstar. Today, not as many people know who he is, but he is an incredible actor i mean this guy yeah. is amazing yeah no i
1: i really enjoyed his character it the ending you know I, I don't want to say anything you know for the people that are going to watch this but the ending i didn't expect the the ending for that character um so that, that was a nice little a little twist um, but yeah yeah, that, that, yeah i just love he hates everybody and everybody yes. and everybody hates him
0: but they're still friends it reminds me of my buddy tom it's like he's a man that that cares about everyone around him immensely but he is so bitter about the life that he lived yeah that he's become an alcoholic and that bitterness just through everything he does unfortunately yes. and um what what's crazy about that character is that character is based on my best friend okay oh, yeah yeah my best friend in the real world that I game with is pretty much Jack to a T. <laughs>
1: yeah, it seemed like when, as you're watching it, like it, it seemed like some of those things were personal, uh, not like the the individual jokes or anything, but just like the banter between the characters um, reminded me a lot of like between me and my buddies. So you could definitely tell that there was some personality behind it. And those scenes weren't written in a boardroom with you know some Karens and Chads you know (laughs) that (laughs) that have to get it passed through a ton of
0: filters so um. so in in the movie there's a African-American gentleman played by um, Brent Moorer Gaskins Um, and Brent he's also another really good actor but the character that he was based on was my friend Corey Scott Corey died of COVID in July when we were making the movie Wow. yeah So, I mean, it was, you know, and Corey was one of my dearest friends. I've gamed with him. uh, We gamed together every Friday night for the past 25 years, you know? Right.
1: How are you getting through this mentally? I mean, like, it doesn't seem like anything is going without getting a speed bump in the road. And you're just you're just pushing through you know a lot of people would turn into a jack and start drinking consistently (laughs) you know and not want to and not want to get out of that slump how are you pulling yourself out of this shit
0: uh staying busy uh i write i work on uh movie stuff it's it's just staying busy. It's don't sit around and mope. Don't sit around and contemplate the bad. Instead, focus on what you're going to do tomorrow. What is, what is it that I want to succeed at? What is my bucket list? All right, now let's start checking off the things I need to do to make that bucket list happen. And by constantly moving forward. The biggest reason why we, why we fail at anything in life is we fail to get up off our ass. Yeah. Okay? That's the biggest reason that we fail. You need to first get up, put that foot in front of you and keep moving and do not stop moving until you get there.
1: Yeah, it's crazy how you can just get up. If you show up for anything, some shit will happen. You know, um, I'm not saying every single time, but you're going to learn something from it for for myself when I got out of rehab coming up on uh, four years ago and when I left I didn't know what I knew what I wanted to do I didn't know exactly how I wanted to get there Um, so I just looked up a dietitian online um, found one um, looked up her boss and then looked up her boss emailed her and emailed her every day for like two or three weeks until she had a meeting with me and then I just said that I just needed I just wanted to help show up I want to learn and she ended up letting me intern throughout this program with zero idea that I was like only 90 days clean out of rehab. Um, but just kind of like that forced me to clean myself up faster, you know, and get out of my comfort zone very quickly um, to let me know that I could do this, you know, because if I just sat back and waited for somebody to show up or just did the bare minimum, then I would only expect to get the bare minimum back and no one's gonna fucking show up like if if your dreams are your dreams and if you don't go after them no one is going to show up and hand you a plane ticket to go do what you want to do and that's something that you I had to realize very very quickly that you yeah it's that mentality of not wanting to get up and show up because just that action of just showing up, making the phone call, doing, doing the thing has always worked out for me. Even if I haven't gotten something in physical return, the lesson that I've learned from that is, is greater than any college course that I've been able to take.
0: I, I can completely see that a few years back. I wrote a book called uh, Steve Wallet's manual of manliness OK, and okay. I know it's a funny sounding name, but I wrote it for young men that don't have a father. OK, I was watching all these customers come in, these uh different mothers with their sons and their sons were unruly and um, not listening to their mom and didn't know how to get on with life and stuff. And the mothers were at their wits end and. Talking to them inspired me to write the book as a guidebook for young men that don't have a father, to teach them everything I wish my father had taught me, everything from how to shop for clothing, how to get a job, how to shake a hand, how to shave, how to have a drink if I'm going to go out drinking, everything, you name it. There was advice in there for all of these aspects of life. What's it called again? Steve Wallet's Manual of Manliness. It's up on Amazon. All right, I'm pulling this up um, okay. because my wife always told me about the book. The book was really written for men and women, but I was targeting it to men.
1: Yeah. Oh, you're on goodreads.com too. Damn, bro. You are everywhere making shit happen. <laughs> Look at you. No, this, I wish I had a book like this growing up. Like I, uh, like it was just my mom, you know, like she had a daycare, so she was super busy. So like the shaving thing, you know, I, I took one of her razors, didn't know what I was doing and just start going to this day. I don't use shaving cream because, because no one taught me how to do that shit, you know, like riding my bike by myself. I just, Figured it out, you know, like the first time I had to fix my car, it was my buddy and I, we had a butter knife, a shitty socket set, and a lamp in my garage, trying to figure out how to take an alternator off, you know, (laughs) so like, the fact that somebody wrote this book is amazing, because I didn't know this book existed, I thought those were questions, I wasn't allowed to ask, you know, okay, and that was just information that was just given to me. And now I feel like a dumbass for thinking something was just given to me after two minutes ago. I said, that doesn't happen. <laughs> so I, I guess talking out loud makes myself feel like idiot.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no. What's funny about books is a, a lot of people think writing a book is hard. It's not. It, it, writing books is actually fairly easy. Writing a good book is hard. And I'm not saying I write good books. I can, I can pump a book out in 30 days, you know, it's, um, but the trick with writing a book is putting the time in set a schedule and you put the time in an hour or two every day, just write, And then after you got it all together, then go back and organize it. You know, it's, it's a simple process. Most of us are not dedicated enough to our dreams to put in an hour or two into our dream every day, whatever that dream is.
1: Yeah. I think that's the big word is the dedication, you know, in, And a lot of people will look at things and have that it must be nice mentality. And, you know, they see the nice car, but they don't see the work that you had to put in to get that nice car or the story behind everybody. Um, Your story, on the other hand, just seems like you just keep getting hit. It's like one after another, after another, and you just keep going and going and going. And I'm looking at your IMDB and I will, first of all, 2004 you made something called blood sucking strippers which (laughs) that's a terrible movie i don't advise you to watch it (laughs) uh you got die cody die what else you got up here man you you're just constantly doing shit out there making it happen as you're getting beat down by life like how do you get out of that? I know you keep saying that you're, you just keep moving. Um, and you know what that dark spot is like you, you, first of all, I've never met a fighter that doesn't know what a dark spot is. And I've never met an artist <laughs> that doesn't know what that dark spot is. So, you know <laughs> what I mean? How much of that gets put into your work? And is that allowing you that expression is if, if I'm correct in that, is that allowing you to kind of like therapeutically release it and work through things?
0: Okay. So I, um, I suffer from PTSD. Okay. Oh. I have a uh, pretty severe PTSD and that is something I've been coping with for most of my life. You know, it's, um, it's constantly in the back of my mind, gnawing at me. Yeah. you know is that from childhood trauma or yeah childhood oh. trauma I was diagnosed with PTSD while I was uh, still a student in school mm. right so many years ago and then other incidents over the years have just compounded that right. you know but one one of the things that has always helped me to cope is having a very morbid dark sense of humor Okay. I've learned to laugh at death. Like, uh, back in, when was that? I guess it was 2003. My wife went in the hospital with a, um, autoimmune disease where her body was eating its own platelets. Okay. So she was bleeding. Yeah. She was bleeding through her pores, through the roof of her mouth. It looked like rain just dripping out of her mouth. Okay. I mean, it was terrifying. Um, it turned out, that that was an environmental toxin. And once we figured out what the toxin was, we were able to reverse it, thank God, you know? But when she was in the hospital, they had her in an isolation wing. They were telling us she probably wasn't gonna live and she wasn't allowed any visitors except for me. Like we couldn't even let our children come in because they were afraid that her immune system was so weak that it would kill her, okay? The entire time that she was there, We, me and her, sat in that hospital joking about death the entire time. The whole family, when when they come and be talking at us through the glass window and stuff, they would be so mad at me because we were joking about death in there. But we both had the same view if you can't laugh at tragedy, then that tragedy is going to destroy you. Yeah, you have to be able to laugh at it. Life is horrifying, it's always going to be horrifying you have to be able to find some kind of joy in life. You have to be able to reach inside and find that thing that makes life worth living. You know, how did you get the
1: balls to, uh, to, to pick that thing? You know, I mean, like, obviously yours is a creative expression, creative output of like multiple, you know, um, areas. Um, How that, how do you get the balls to express yourself? I sometimes even be, I have trouble expressing just being happy, you know, I, like you're, cause what you're explaining is like, you're either a very, very dark comedian, um, like Robin Williams. Um, and this is like your way out or you're like, you're hiding from something, you know, like it, it, it kind of seems like it's always one of those two parallels, but for s- somehow you've made it in the middle to where you've been able to still keep your sanity through all
0: this or am i wrong are you crazy you just don't know it no no you got it it's uh so okay when i was in the army i had this guy uh drill sergeant briggs and god i i hated this guy he was he was the the meanest most horrifying person i've ever met in my life but Something he told us has always stuck with me. And I really am grateful to him for giving me this piece of advice when I was 18 years old. He said, look at the man to your left and look at the man to your right. If they are not better than you, move. Put a man to your left and right that is better than you, that you aspire to be. Okay? You surround yourself by people that are better than you. And you will always become a better person because you will try to become as good as them. Yeah. And when you get to the level that you're as good as the person that inspired you find someone new that inspires you more. And you continue up that ladder. You constantly elevate yourself by surrounding yourself with people that make you better. Yeah. That's, I love that.
1: There's a, uh, there's, cool story by steve harvey uh to where it's not really a story he does a lot of inspirational type things uh he's been homeless quite a few times uh divorced a few times lost everything and now he's obviously who he is and uh he talks about <coughs> uh, that made me forget my train of thought what all right you got to help me out here really quick. harvey talks yeah no before that you're uh
0: Surrounding people yourself with people that make you better,
1: yes. Okay, so he has this thing to where if you're flying somewhere, um, and like everybody's kind of flown, and when it comes up to like it could be $86 or whatever, and to update or upgrade to the first class seat, um, that you should do that, you know, even if it pushes your budget a little bit and like it puts you kind of outside of your comfort range financially or whatever. It's something that you should invest in yourself in doing because then we as humans are naturally lazy. We want to be comfortable. And so if you can introduce your psyche and your body into a new level of comfort, you're going to try to find a way to strive to get back to that. So then that way, that first class seat becomes your natural seat instead of, you know, back in economy. Um, and so kind of taking that along with like what you were saying, you know, surround yourself by better people. Um, I've also heard another one of, uh, you're only as good as the four people that surround you the most. Um, and if the, if you look at those people in a negative light, that's how everybody looks at you. Um, so it's cool. I I
0: completely agree with that. It's it, for me, it was, um, I had a very very wide range of friends growing up, you know, and some of my friends ended up being criminals. Some of them went on and became very successful in life. The people that I stuck with are the people that I, I recognized as the most intelligent people in my life. I surround myself with intelligence because that is the thing I respect most in people. Okay. So my best friends, um, My friend uh, John is an engineer. My friend Pete is an inventor for the military. I mean, how cool a job is that, you know? (laughs) Inventor for the military. Um, my, My friend Corey, who passed away, was a computer engineer. You know, these are the people that I surround myself with on a regular basis because I want to be as good at them as good as they are at what they do, even though I don't know much about what they do. Right. You know, and then what's nice is, as I found my own successes and things, each of them was also finding successes in their hobbies.
1: Yeah, it's also cool to, when you get that group of people that you can celebrate accomplishments together um, and kind of like see each other grow and you you push each other. Um, and then you can also introduce Know, new people into the group um i'm just assuming are these three um genius great people um the drunk guys that sat around the table
0: kind of like creating this
1: film or- That's,
0: <laughs> that is them yes they're the guys i sit down <laughs> and drink on a regular basis you know yeah I, I these days i drink one day a week every friday night so tonight is my drinking night nice. i get together with a group of guys we drink, we play games for eight to 12 hours into the wee hours of the morning, you know, and then we call it a night.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm doing that tomorrow. Well, I don't drink anymore, but I'm doing that tomorrow with uh, the UFC fight that's coming on we're just going to have a poker game and nice. sit around and drink a bunch of Topo Chico's, and, <laughs> and, you know, just, just watch the fight and play poker. So yeah, you need that release every now and then. It's just crazy to see that like those, like, hey, let's start a bar, let's start a t-shirt company, you know, like all those things that, uh, that you went through and you actually did it. And now, now of, like the roughest times too. That's insane. Yeah.
0: But the other thing is, uh, when you get an idea, no matter what that idea is, like for me, I, I wanted to make a movie, right? Yeah. Well, if you look at movies, how do you get like an A-lister to be in your movie? I mean, that's like pretty hard to do if you don't have a lot of money yeah impossible in my case it was a matter of luck i was in an elevator in new york city when bai Ling got on the elevator with me and we're talking and uh i did i recognized her but i didn't know who she was mm-hmm. okay and during the conversation she uh introduced herself as um bai Ling and told me she was an actress i was like bai Ling, i know that name i'm like oh my God, I know who you are, you know? Like it clicked in my head, the light bulb went off. And I said, I got this great movie and I wrote a character in it based on you. And she was like, okay, whatever, you know? And I'm like, would you be willing to read the script and uh, consider being in? She's like, "Uh, sure, Let uh, let me see the script. I said, you wait here, I'll be right back. I ran to my room, I had a printout of it in my bag, grabbed it, ran back and handed it to her. I I scribbled my phone number on the front of the script, right? Yeah. The next morning, she woke me up with a phone call. You're putting me in this movie.
1: And she was in Red Corner, The Crow, Crank, Southland Tales. Yeah. She's been in movies with The Rock.
0: Um, Richard Gere. Yeah. uh, Everybody. Her first movie was with Brandon Lee, you know. Yeah,
1: she's been in a lot of stuff and you and you just happened to get
0: super lucky in an elevator in the uni- And I took a chance. And that's the thing. You gotta take that chance. I could oh, have been have left to. and just asked for an autograph and went on with my life, but instead I asked her, Hey, take a look at my story. The worst she would have done is never call me back or throw it away. I'm right? sure you've gotten used to that by
1: this point, though. I mean,
0: with yeah, the, with I, I the expect amount that of every... movies you've made. Yeah. So I took the chance, and in she said that she wanted to be in the movie, and then the part was negotiating a fee that I could live with. Right. you know, And that, that took a process. That took several months. Um, Vernon Wells, I had been in a couple movies with, but I had never actually met face-to-face and i reached out to the producer and said i'd like vernon to be in this movie can you ask him to look at my screenplay and uh brian barsuglia he took the screenplay to vernon and handed it off and i was talking with vernon vernon said when he was given the screenplay he was like oh god you know he did not want to read the screenplay he was just like but he did it as a favor to brian
1: that's yeah that's a big favor especially looking at um what he's known for on IMDb, right commando the road warrior weird science so like those are all movies that you know my mom had vhs tapes for yes you know or or like i'm I'm 37 so i'm old like i'm getting up there but like my mom like this was her her stuff you know so i would i would have been like super young Uh, But I remember watching, you know, obviously Commando. Uh, I don't remember watching Weird Science, but I know that it was a thing. Um, And so this drunken night of yours to where it leads to you writing a script, which leads to you just randomly happening to pop into an elevator that has the person that you wrote the spot for in it. You take the chance, you give her the script, you get a favor you land two A-list actors in a movie that you only have 200k for to make based off of a drunken night, and you want a nurse to take the souls of these old guys, right? That, dude, that's
0: amazing. Yeah, <laughs> and then organize the
1: best story ever.
0: So, uh, Peter Bryant he plays uh, the devil in this movie. Okay, Okay. and and Peter uh, is—he's my friend, the inventor for the army. He's not even a professional actor, okay, but he's a good actor, and that's why I asked him for this role. His his father runs nursing facilities in the state of Maryland for the mentally ill—a whole bunch of them, right? They were renovating one of the nursing facilities, and he asked his father if we could utilize that a- area where the renovation was occurring to shoot the movie. So we actually shot the movie in a real nursing facility. You know, we did, it's not a fake facility. And yeah. the reason it looked decrepit in the film is it was in the middle of a construction.
1: Oh, yeah. you know, well, which that
0: makes fits sense. the story really nicely.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, it made perfect sense too. Like it fit very well um, with kind of like how the doctor was kind of a bitch and, and everything was just falling apart. So you just, it almost seems like this was just, it made, meant to happen. You know? Like, I, I feel like it you, was. Like you had to make this film. Obviously you did, um, but it came at the right time. Or do you think it was yeah. the wrong time?
0: well um it it came when it came I, I don't think it was right or wrong it's what makes it right or wrong is did you succeed okay now the movie hasn't gone to uh full production and everything so i can't say if it succeeded yet yeah i've made a great movie on a very small budget but the vast majority of the world hasn't seen the movie yet. I haven't made any money on it yet. That remains to be seen down the road. Was it right or wrong? But uh, there's something, have you ever heard of something called the Delta Star? No. Okay. The Delta Star is a concept that uh, was created by a man named uh, Heinerman. Uh, Heinerman? Heinerman? I can't, I'm pronouncing his name wrong. But he's the guy, he was one of the people that worked on the atomic bomb with Albert Einstein, okay? Okay. He said that we have moments in life when true inspiration hits us, and he likes to call those moments the Delta Star. When the Delta Star peaks in your brain, if you don't grasp it at that moment, you lose it, okay? I believe that this movie was a Delta Star moment for me, that the, the star peaked, I saw it, I reached for it, and made it happen. Yeah,
1: I, I have a similar theory to that. Um, it's like, so you saying yes to things, uh, your first movie, your first film or, or book, um, that always, like, I, I feel like we don't generate creativity. We don't really generate anything. I feel like uh, we are kind of just the antenna. We're just the receiver of all of these ideas. And we just have to be open to them. Um, As soon as you say yes, and that becomes your idea, it's now your responsibility to take it on and use it. The more times that you say yes, and you use that idea, and you follow it to fruition, you not only get like this amazing feeling of accomplishment that I feel like a lot of us, especially in this country are missing out on uh, is a, is accomplishment, but it also allows you to be more receptive to the next creative idea. Um, And then you can take the lessons from the last one and and the connections that you've made to be able to follow it into the next idea that is just going to come easier. And the more times you say yes, the more ideas just keep coming in to where it just becomes that becomes the thing that you now do and you do that thing forever and then you live to be happy and you don't have to worry about driving to work nine to five monday through friday <laughs> hoping to go to disneyland once a
0: year right well um you know jk rollins uh, harry potter right yes yes okay everybody talks about how she was a nobody wrote this story and became So successful. What most people don't know is she wrote dozens of books before she wrote Harry Potter. Yeah, I didn't know that. Books that you never heard of. Yeah. Okay. That goes into what you're saying right there. You have to keep putting in the work. If you don't put in the work for success over and over and over again, you will not find it unless you're that rare person that got lucky. And that is super rare. Yeah, I
1: feel like a lot of us are just looking at life from that Instagram filter, of yeah. on, only seeing the end result, and so with that, it's so far away that starting doesn't even make sense because putting yourself out there is already hard enough to do, especially with what you're doing.
0: Um, do you? Well, you have to. You have to have. Um, you have to have skin of steel, you know, against criticism. No matter if you're going to do something creative, write a book, make a movie, paint a painting, whatever, anything creative, half the people that see it are going to hate it and half the people that see it are going to love it, Mm -hmm. you know, and you have to be able to accept that a lot of people are going to despise what you made and not take it to heart. Um, What's her name? Um, Selma Hayek. I read an article with her years ago where she said, I never read reviews about myself. And I was like, why? I'd want to know what people think about me, right? And she went on to further say that so many people had written so many bad reviews about her when she got her career started, that it was making her think that the only thing she was good for was being a stripper.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I can see how that would mess with you. Um, yes. Yeah. It's even myself doing this podcast, putting it out. I feel like sometimes the people that know me like personally, um, are not so much like my inner circle, but kind of like in the peripheral, um, of my Mm -hmm. life. Um, I still feel like they're judging me, you know, for, for doing a podcast as like, you're 37. Why are you starting something like this? You know, and now as it's getting bigger, um, you know, and like I was actually able to like take a buddy out and like buy him lunch on like the little tiny bit of like a $10, $20 like donation thing that I got on here was the greatest thing in the world.
0: Yeah. It's, I totally get that. Yeah
1: it's, yeah. it's funny.
0: Um, you you mentioned this thing about us being the antennas, right? Yeah. Uh have you ever read the uh the Borneo monkey study or ever heard of it? I may have heard of it, uh, not by name. Okay. So check this out. They got these monkeys on one of these islands in the Borneo. And they're studying monkeys on a bunch of different islands. But the monkeys have no contact with each other whatsoever. Okay. There's miles of ocean between each of these clusters of monkeys they're studying. And on one of the islands, a monkey figures out how to... uh, crack open this log and get these um get this food out of this log using tools okay okay is this now, where, it's uh... the first I've ever seen these monkeys use tools of any type and it happens on this one island and they're like wow this is so amazing
1: i think i Within saw a
0: picture a month,
1: what's that I-, I think i saw a picture of uh it was like I don't remember, orangutan or something with a spear? Okay. Is is
0: that kind of what you were talking about? It's along the same lines, except this was they had figured out how to use these sticks to get down inside the log and fish out the food that was living in there. Fishing out the bugs, basically, with sticks. Okay, so they're pretty much in the Stone Age right now. Right. But the monkeys on this one island figured this out. Okay, and they had been studying these monkeys for more than a decade, and this was like a new thing. It just happened almost overnight, really? right okay. within a month, every single island monkeys figured out the same thing, and they had no contact with each other. no contact whatsoever and now it's part of that monkey's' culture to use these sticks to fish food out on every one of those clusters of monkeys this is this This goes to show that. We are antennas, that the ideas of the universe are out there and we're all receiving. This is why um, I theorize that you have um, you ever notice 20 people all come up with the same idea at the same time all over the world, but only one of them succeeds at it. Yeah. And that, that happens, that, that repeats over and over again, because we are collectively sharing the same stream of information whether that's quantum energy or the Akashic record, whatever you want to call it, whether it's divine, who knows, whatever it is, we are all in tune with it. It's like, what do you do with that? Do you follow those uh, moments of inspiration, those lights when they go off in your head? Or do you go, oh, that's a cool idea, and then go out to dinner with your wife and forget about them by the evening?
1: yeah how do you start that though have you always believed kind of like in this crazy ass antenna theory of mine to where like you say yes or have you been scared since the beginning or I mean, like were you a creative child I guess is kind of um where I'm going with this like did you start off just being okay putting yourself out there and You
0: know, I have always had a lot of bravado. I've never been afraid of stepping in front of a crowd or just expressing myself Uh, as a child that got me into a lot of fights, you know, real confidence. Or is that like a false
1: like confidence, like look at me type thing? Or is that like, is that really? Uh, It's more
0: it's probably a little bit of both. I mean, I'm confident enough. I'm not afraid of rejection that's
1: that's you know a lot of people are
0: terrified of rejection i'm not afraid of rejection you know uh just give you an example uh i remember i was in high school and we're walking along um on a road and this pretty girl walks by on the other side of the road and my friends are all going we should go ask her out and i'm like yeah one of us should go uh, see if we can pick her up you know and They're all, you know, trying to get up the courage to do it. I'm like, why are we standing here trying to get the courage to do it? I walk across the street and walked over to the girl and I'm like, Hey, how are you? And she's like, Hey, what's up? And we got to talk and I said, do you mind if I try to pick you up? And she's like, sure, go ahead. And I leaned over and threw her up on my shoulder and I immediately put her back down, but I did it as an expression. I asked her if I could pick her up. I picked her up. I sat her back down, you know, (laughs) now Obviously, that's that looking back on it, that was horrible. I should have never done that, yeah. but I ended up getting a girlfriend out of that. Me and her still talk today. Really? But she has married and kids. We became really good friends out of that brief momentary interaction because I wasn't afraid of rejection.
1: Yeah, I like to look at humans. <laughs> it's, it's weird because, like, I say humans um, as if I'm different. But sometimes I'll have this perspective of like looking down, you know, like looking at everything and just literally looking down and you can see people like in these little boxes that are only separated by like wood this thick and like, as you're walking down the street, it's just all these humans, all the same thing and Mm -hmm. zero interaction. It's just all straight looking at the phone. No one wants to communicate with anybody, but all they're doing is trying to look for communication and as we do this we're missing opportunities where you know there's just thousands of stories just walking by us every single day and if we could just stop and maybe interact with one of those stories every now and then you know like it might propel us into those relationships those successful circles to be able to
0: kind of like
1: push us to do our thing
0: um yes yeah. yeah they another another aspect of um what we've been talking about here is our fears can really hold us down. They can weigh us down. You know, it's like, if I'm afraid to go talk to somebody, I missed an opportunity to form that connection. If I'm afraid to apply for a job because I don't think I'm skilled enough for it, I may have just missed the opportunity to get that job. You know, you have to, you have to put your fears aside. I mean, a reasonable fear. You know, I have a fear to walk through a fire. That's a reasonable fear. But having a fear that someone's going to say no to you, that is not reasonable at all.
1: Yeah, I have this weird fear of a, there's a term for it and I forget it all the time. Um, to where I just feel like I don't belong there. You know, like uh, they're going to find out who I am and uh, I'm, a, I'm a fraud you know, and whatever it is I'm doing, even if I, I know exactly what I'm doing, I feel like a fraud in every scenario that I go through. And so it, it kind of like forces me to put on this false confidence, um, almost like a character at times that, and the character that I try to put in my head is the person that I want to be, you know, not somebody, not somebody else, not, I'm not <laughs> trying to mimic anybody. It's what are the actions right now that I wish I could make? And it allows me to kind of like get out of myself because if I mess up, I'm like, well, that character didn't work, you know, <laughs> and, and, okay. I can, and I can just move on. Um, but, in, but in doing that, it, it's pushing me to do uncomfortable things um, and to to slowly become that person. I like, I can't remember what it's called, um, but do you ever experience that?
0: Uh, I, I do. Um, I, I experience it probably for a different reason than you do with, uh, today, with the way society has become, especially in the United States, we have, uh, if you say something wrong or say something that is interpreted in a negative manner, it can destroy a career overnight. Okay. Uh, if you say, um, uh, just as an example, if you say, this politician did a good job today. Half the country is going to jump on you as being horrible for even supporting them. And the other half is going to be like, yes, did," You know, but then you, the next day you say it about another politician, It, you can't have both sides in modern society. It's your one side or the other. Mm-hmm. And I'm a middle of the road guy, you know? So for me, I have to bite my tongue more often than not, because I'm afraid that someone will misinterpret what I'm saying in a way that's negative.
1: Yeah. It, it's hard, especially once you hit that red button and, and then you hit publish that doesn't go away. You no. know, like it, it just, it does not go away and it's something that people aren't actively thinking about. Like I made a video um, I was experimenting with YouTube, um, to try to like figure out how to do it, how to edit stuff and just actually publish some videos and do it myself. And I made a video on like uh, medical marijuana and what I was using to kind of like help me through like the dark period, um, of pain instead of taking opiates, I chose to do that. And, um, it just didn't sit right. You know, like it, it I posted it and for some reason it just didn't feel right, um, you know, not that the video was bad or I was worried about judgment or anything. It was, I didn't feel comfortable putting my name behind something, you know, like that, that I wasn't a hundred percent sure if I wanted to support other people trying it. And so okay. I pulled it off, um, but I still got questions about it. You know, I still got a, a YouTube thing saying that it was going to be demonetized because it was a, you know, whatever, talking about marijuana and stuff like that. And so it but that stuff doesn't go away you know somebody's seen it um you know it's in your case you're putting out you know films that have you know i'm I'm guessing financial backers at some points you're obviously putting a lot into it uh time money effort and everything and to have to like think about that filter now is different because there's movies that were made but like 20 years ago i mean ace ventura huge example that that never not in a million years would that ever get made again you know like that that movie is about a transgender person that used to be called transvestites I think they call them in that movie you have an actor falling out of a rhino's ass and they make every transphobia joke known to man I think that movie actually wrote most of them for the basis of jokes today (laughs) so and you can't do that now. How are you kind of as a filmmaker, like putting yourself out there with that risk? Because especially like, this is even controversial to say um, you're a white man. So anything you do is gonna be looked at a lot more um, controversial right now. It seems to be, it's like everybody, you can't do anything on public unless you've gone through at least a hundred filters and then you're still gonna get hit by somebody um how are you dealing with that as a creator um and as uh, a man i made the tremendous amounts
0: i made the decision that i'm going to be me if that offends people that offends people i grew up in the 80s where you could say anything and do anything uh, because it was your right to speak and say what is on your mind even if that is offensive You know, and if someone takes offense to something I say and they bring it to my attention, I will adjust my conversation for their benefit out of courtesy to them, but it does not change the fact that I'm still going to say and be myself. It was really interesting. I went to Ukraine in um, uh, July of 2020. I spent the entire month there. I was out there trying to work on a film project. And when I went to Ukraine, I got off the plane and the first person that I talked to was extremely rude to me. Then I get to the hotel and the person at the hotel was extremely rude to me. And then I went to a bar and the bartender was extremely rude to me. I'm like, man, why is everybody being so rude to me? Well, after a few days of being in Ukraine, I came to realize they're not being rude. They're just expressing themselves without the fear of society judging them. And it was so refreshing. After I was there for a few weeks, seeing this on a regular basis, people expressing themselves, saying stuff that was offensive or non-offensive in the same conversation and not worrying about the judgment, criticism, or attacks that they would have suffered here in America for the conversation. You know, if, if you're hateful, Fine. That's your right. Be hateful. As long as you're not hurting anybody, I could care less. You know, that is your right. If you if you are afraid of somebody, I advise you to try and learn a little bit about them and overcome that fear, you know? But that's also your right. If you want to be afraid, be afraid. That's your right. It's not my right to tell you you're right or wrong. And uh, the other thing I learned when I was traveling, like in Ukraine see, I got this big beard, right? And I shaved head. Well, it was really weird. Cops kept coming up to me in Ukraine, asking to shake my hand and thanking me. You know, they're coming up and they're going, Paseeba, Paseeba. And I'm like, why are all these cops thanking my hand? Like I'm some kind of hero. And my translator's like, oh, you Taliban. And I'm like, what? And they're like, you Taliban, you Taliban. And I'm like, I'm not Taliban. And they're like, well, you look Taliban. You must be Taliban. And I'm like, well, no i'm american i'm not taliban you know yeah. and they um apparently the taliban kills russians which makes them heroes in ukraine what? i mean it was like i was being treated like a rock star everywhere i went because people thought i was in the taliban <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean it was just crazy
1: all right yeah that's yeah. Not gonna happen so, here it, it,
0: that's <laughs> oh, the other thing was, though, is I traveled because I also went to like Belarus and I went to Germany and I went to Amsterdam, I went to a bunch of places. Yeah. But as I was bouncing around to these different places. Things that are considered bad in America, in other parts of the world are considered good cultural differences. We 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 constantly talk about we have to respect other people's cultures until that culture disagrees with something that we accept as a core value of being American. You know what I mean? Yeah. It um like uh when I was in India uh, a number of years back, the uh, there were twelve and fourteen year old girls and boys getting married. That's crazy in America. I mean, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. How much time you got? You got a little bit more time? i, I want I want to dive in. From- uh,
0: I I have about forty five minutes, and I'm going to have to go.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. No. So we got no plenty need- of time. Yeah, I won't even keep you on that long. I know uh, the... Yeah, you going through this process of making this film, right? I want to I wanna okay. get back on track to this film for just a quick second. Um, I love this conversation, by the way. Um, going through... And I'm not talking about the filmmaking process, but the okay. logistics of getting it out is... I don't even know what that's like. I'm only assuming it's extremely stressful. Um, it, it's of, terrible. Of, of putting, like, you put the actors together. Um, you got, like, some big names, you know, getting just the permit, everything. And you're going through all your shit. And then now you're going through this whole process of
0: putting the movie out. What does that look like? You know? Okay. So, as an independent filmmaker, getting... Distribution companies to look at you is almost impossible. There's a couple independent distribution companies out there, but most of the distribution companies don't have really good records for paying you when you sign with them. Mm-hmm. You want to sign with one of the better companies. So the trick is to go to film festivals and hopefully get into one of the big 10. There's like 10 film festivals that are considered the uh, the best of the best, you know, like number one or Sundance, you know? Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay. The ones, the ones that everybody knows. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If you can get your film into any of those 10, you will probably get offers for a distribution deal from one of the better companies. Otherwise you have to either hire a broker To take your product to these companies and try to sell it for you, which means you're losing money, or you got to win lots of small festivals and then go to them and say, look at me, I got a great product here. A lot of the companies won't even consider you if you don't have an advertising budget. So let's say it costs you a quarter million dollar to make the movie. You better be willing to spend another 50 or 100 or 200,000 just on advertising or they're not even going to look at. it. Wow. Yeah. Where do you get all this money? You find investors. You find people that believe in you enough to give you the money for a percentage of whatever the product's going to make. And that, that is difficult because now, now you have to sell yourself to people. You have to go out and find people that have money and say, hey, look at me. I can, I got A, B, C, and D here. All I need is F to be successful. So wait, wait, you, wait, wait, wait. Like
1: you, you've told me that you've basically gotten the shit sandwich handed to you every other single week. And yet you're still going into these meetings and getting people to give you money for a film based off of you how are you holding your shit together to be able to do all
0: this (laughs) it's 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 like drug addiction when you're addicted to the drug you uh you keep saying i want to get off it i want to get off it but you keep going back to it every night like just one more dose it won't matter you know what i mean yeah okay Success is the same as breaking drug addiction. It's making the decision that you're not going to let that crutch drag you down. You just have to make the decision. It's not going to to impede me. Okay. So Mm -hmm. I get up every morning. I think about the bad stuff. And then I squash it. I squeeze it into a ball and I put it away. Just shove it to the side because I have more important things to do than to sit there and wallow in that misery.
1: Yeah.
0: Because I, if I give into that misery just a little bit, that day's ruined. It's gone. Oh yeah. How
1: are you? Uh, like so, you're putting this ball of shit aside every day. This ball of misery. How far into? Um, getting this film out now, um, how far into that are you? Or has stuff kind of been put as, put on hold with everything that's going on? Or are you right in the middle of getting it out? Because I know you sent me the press kit. I got to see it, um, but not everybody else gets to see it yet. So how far into that process? Uh, so right now yet?
0: we're in the festival circuit. So I've been to uh, four festivals so far. We've won 14 awards. So we've had a really good start to nice. this process. Uh, We have several more months of festivals, and um, actually, if any of your listeners are in the Boston area, uh, the last weekend of February, there's a convention called Total Con, Total Confusion, okay? It's a gaming convention, like a um, a, uh, tabletop gaming convention, and if you go to that convention for the cost of your ticket for the convention you can watch jack be nimble we're airing it twice at that convention
1: oh nice yeah so
0: it's a way you can see it before it gets distribution yeah yeah for sure yeah um i wish i could have
1: watched it in a setting like that instead of you know like i had to watch it on my computer
0: that would have been a lot better yeah seeing it on big screen is a huge difference yeah huge The other thing is, so uh, we have the several months of going to festivals while I market it to uh, distribution companies, assuming that one of the distribution companies agrees to pick it up, then it has to go through quality control checks. What that means is they have, did you ever notice when you watch a television, like use the Lifetime channel, or actually we use Disney. Okay. Okay. Classic Disney movies. Have you ever noticed they all have the same color palette? They all have the same musical palette, you know? Yes. Yeah. It's almost like it, a, it's, a, a copy Turn it on. Filter. You know it's Disney. Yes. Yes. Okay. Each distribution company has a palette that a series of checks that that distribution company looks for, and your film has to fit that category so you've seen my movie let's say i submit my movie to miramax and miramax runs it through quality control and they say no the black in your background does not match the black in our background i have to go back to editing and fix the movie well at least you have a red so that'll be really (laughs) easy to do yes yes it is but but it's more money yeah you know these little things can end up being more money and um oh so even
1: after you've been picked up you you're still in charge of of going back and fixing the color grading on everything and and any editing changes that need to be made yes oh
0: my god
1: yes and and there's more (laughs) steps to go still
0: yeah and, and that's just part of the process you know I got really lucky with this film uh, because we were able to actually hire an orchestra to do the music. So it's an actual orchestra playing the music, which is awesome. You know?
1: Did you Uh, be be part of the recording process for that?
0: uh, They were in Philadelphia, and I dealt mostly through telephone and email with them. Oh, okay. Okay. And uh, the sound engineer um, that we have, Sam, he is... I he's just phenomenal I mean he took all the different all the issues that we had with sound and he was able to clean them up I mean you you saw the film the sound in it is crisp yeah Yeah, you know
1: yeah it was very well made I I have to give you that it was very well put together
0: the only negative that I had was special effects because I didn't have a budget for special effects so we went with Sergio Argento style special effects 1970s special effects we could say yeah Um, yeah i
1: you like not to like criticize because i'm in no place to criticize but like you kind of almost have to expect that um you know like whatever you can kind of use on a macbook or you know whatever um but it worked you know like they weren't the the most astonishing visual effects but you could tell someone put effort into them and they weren't just like thrown over top as a mask you know and hopefully it matched up like there was definitely some professionalism to it um
0: it looked good so yeah yeah so overall you know it's this making a film is a very long and tedious process and uh making a film that doesn't have errors in it is even more difficult it's like uh if you watch any movie and really pay attention to it you will see where they've made mistakes continuity issues. Uh, You'll see that um, uh, I was watching NCIS a few weeks ago, and the the characters are walking down the street and they're walking past a barbershop and you see the barbershop in the background, right, then they do a far takeaway shot of the same scene And now they're half a block up and they're walking past the same barbershop again as the conversation continues. Then they zoom in on them and they're walking past the same barbershop in the opposite direction. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I like picking up on those things or if uh, like the
1: hat is like either like a little bit to the left, a little bit to the right, or like the big thing for me is uh, cigarettes. Um, Most people in movies don't actually smoke, so you can tell. Um, And uh, But the length of the cigarette. You know, during a five-minute conversation, will stay mm-hmm. the same length, or right. You know, like a bottle of water or a glass of, you know, like a scotch or something. It just. I it, had to,
0: I, I had to put a disclaimer at the end of Jack be Nimble that no tobacco companies gave me money for the making of the film because we had so much cigarette smoking in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: it, it worked out though. I don't know. I, I really enjoyed that film. I. Yeah it's actually kind of inspiring me to go out and search to try to find more independent films just because I'm so locked into only like what's consumed by like Netflix and things like that. That the, the content that I want to consume isn't readily available anymore. So I, I appreciate you just even being on the show and kind of introducing me to another media, you know, for me to go, to go find my interests in um i know i've had you on here a little bit longer than we anticipated i've I've loved our talk i'm probably gonna have to hit you up again um get you on some other time and i definitely want to see what happens to this film so keep me up to date um on everything i I definitely want to know how where this is being produced or not produced but um you know kind of put out to the mainstream you're
0: gonna have to let me know so i can let everybody else know as well. well i we're friends on facebook right yep yep So you'll see, I do updates on Facebook pretty regularly, and that'd be the easiest way to keep track of things. Uh,
1: How else do people get a hold of you? Um, Not just myself, but like the, for all of my listeners to kind of get a hold of you and maybe even be in your next film.
0: Okay. So we have, um, you could go on uh, Facebook at furious nerd productions.com or Facebook at, at Jack B. Nimble, the movie. You can find me on Instagram at Steve Wallet. You can find me on Amazon. Just look my name up. Where else? I guess uh, my website is Furious Nerd Productions. Oh, I also am a fashion designer, so I design shoes. If you go to stevewallet.com, you can look at my shoe designs. They're all inspired by uh, nerd concepts and themes. Italian-made, handmade Italian leather shoes yeah really? um uh, yeah i'm actually wearing a pair right now <laughs> stevewallet.com
1: so, yeah all right
0: yeah so i mean i'm i'm and like you said earlier if you google my name i'm all over the internet yeah yeah 100 percent.
1: sweet all right man i uh i know you got a big trip coming up you got to take off here in about half hour 45 minutes So I'll go ahead and get you off of here. Um, I'm going to put all the, all your, try to find everything that you're on online and I'll put it down below um, in the show notes. Um, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. I've learned a significant amount. I'm going to have to go back and listen to this again because I feel like there's just way too much information for me to process all at once. Great conversation. Yeah, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, For everybody that's out there listening, definitely go check this dude out um great guy gonna be talking to him again and uh yeah thanks again steve i appreciate you certainly you have a good day man Uh, you too got another one folks we got another one and another one uh damn steve's amazing He's he's a really good dude i really enjoyed that conversation I'm actually looking forward to uh, meeting up with him at some point and just sit down and maybe even have him teach me how to play Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> but I uh, really hope that you go out, check out his movie, hit him up on social media, uh, all over. Gonna, I'm going to have his uh, contacts and everything in the show notes right below this. Uh, please find him on social media. Uh, I'm also on social media, at the underscore MMA dietitian. Then um, you're going to be able to find the podcast at A Fighter's Story on Instagram, starting up a Patreon right below this. And please support this show. Um, I'm doing this for fun, and I hope that the people that are listening to this are having fun. Uh, I'm more than available, so you can just hit me up. Um, also, if you feel like you'd be a good guest on the show, why not throw that out there? I'm uh, I'm down to talk to anybody, man. I really want to hear your your uh your stories and if you have a good story please just hit me up on social media um again i appreciate you enjoy the rest of your day and thank you so much guys please follow share like subscribe everything and leave a comment and also a review five stars just said so and uh let me know where i'm messing up and what i need to do better i might do it i might just laugh at you. So, uh, love you guys. Talk to you soon. See ya.